you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. You had uh, sermon notes. Looked at the sermon title. It says, two weeks later, he is still risen. Right? Two weeks later, he is still risen. And uh, that's my fun way of kind of keeping us on point. Using Easter as a launching pad. I shared last Sunday that sometimes, you know, sometimes in the tradition of church, we get all excited about Easter, we celebrate a resurrection, and then we just leave. And we get back to business as usual, right? We may not say it, but we kind of feel like he went back in the tomb till we need him next year, right? And we get all excited again when really what we saw on on Sunday, Easter morning, was that the resurrection matters, right? The resurrection matters. It matters doctrinally. It's part of the gospel that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Whenever you share the gospel, right, you got to include the rose again part, right? Why is that important? 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith, right? We saw doctrinally. If the resurrection didn't happen, we're wasting our time, folks. Wasting our time. We should be at the Dodger game. Okay, yeah, or watching the Kings. Or the Ducks. Or the NBA playoffs. Or, okay, the cooking channel or whatever, right? Fixer Upper, right? Don't want you know, to be sports heavy here. Got to get them all, right? We just shouldn't be here. We should be at Cafe Emporium. Right? We should be sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm watching all of you, right? But we shouldn't be here. If the resurrection didn't happen according to the Bible, right, we just saw it, it's useless. It's silly. Right? It matters. Right? We also saw that the resurrection matters because if you've ever heard, you know, hey, Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, right? Well, then you may have wondered, well, how do we know that the payment was accepted? How do we know that, that, that the Father... Right? I, I use the ATM thing. If you ever, or the little, the little slot thing, right? How many of you use debit cards, credit cards? You put it in the slot, and then it says what? Processing, right? And you go, you know, and you wonder, right? And then it says what? Approved. Remove card, right? Romans 4.25 says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The resurrection matters because when God... God raised, when the Father raised Jesus from the dead, it was payment approved. Resurrection. Remove the card. Remove my son from the grave, right? It matters. That's how we know that the payment was accepted. And then we saw that it matters daily. It matters daily. So it matters doctrinally daily. Romans 6, 4 says this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We too. There's a purpose, right? In order that, that phrase is a purpose statement. It's a reason. It's a why, right? We talked about in the weeks leading up to Easter that when you put your faith in Christ, you are in a new covenant relationship. You are in union with him. So it's that union, it's that, it's that identification with Jesus that brings you to identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, right? But there's a practical purpose according to Romans 6.4. It says, in order that we too 
may live a new life. And we talked about a new quality of life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. So the resurrection is a basis for us to live a new quality of life. New quality. Right? And we talked about that. Brand new. Never existed before. You're now empowered through the Holy Spirit. Right? You're a new creation. And we're kind of sticking with this because it's real easy to hear that, real easy to get excited on a Sunday and go, yeah, let's do that. And by the time to get to your car, what do you want to eat? What are you going to do later? Oh, man, I got laundry. I got to wash the car. And suddenly we we were excited for a few moments and, you know, and then the stuff of life just takes over and we just go right back. And it's, you know, that's why I'm like two weeks later, he's still risen. Because there's an intentionality. There's a proactivity in our walk with Jesus that has to be there daily, continuously. It's walking in the spirit, right? So how do we, how do we walk in this newness of life? We saw in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's a life of faith trust right galatians 5 16 so i say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature so it's a it's a life controlled by the spirit walking in the spirit okay we looked at that last week we looked at colossians 3 since then you have been raised with christ again there's the identification set your hearts on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things above not on earthly things We saw, if we're going to walk in this newness of life, last week we asked the question, where's your treasure? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Right, I challenge you, if you were to keep a thought journal, daily write down your thoughts. At the end of the day, at the end of the week, where were most of your thoughts? Right, where were your passions? Where's your treasure? We We looked at this last week, that... If we're going to walk in newness of life, our hearts and our minds need to be set on the things of God. On the things of God. And when you understand that, right, then you start to understand why church is important. Why men's group is important. Why Tuesday is important. Why women's Bible study is important. If to walk in newness of life were to set our hearts and minds on the things above, everything we do around Scripture is simply designed to do that. Keep our hearts and minds set on the things above. Because I don't know about you, it's real easy. As soon as I turn on the TV or fire up the Internet, my mind goes right to the things of the world. Amen? And just like that, I'm angry. Just like that, I'm anxious. Just like that, right? I'm bothered. Just like that. It happens that fast. So when you're encouraged to read the Scripture, when you're encouraged to pray and everything around the spiritual disciplines, it's really designed for you and I to to continually keep our hearts and minds set on the things of God. To develop a biblical worldview, what we call, right? And for years, if you've been with us, I like to do this with my Bible, right? I like to do this. Biblical worldview is this. I get to know Scripture in my heart and mind so well that this is how I see the world. I see the world, but it comes through the Bible first. And then I listen to the world. And it comes through Scripture first. See, that's a biblical worldview. You get to know Scripture. You get to know God's will. You get to know God's heart. You get to see God's priorities. And therefore, you view life through the lens of the Bible first. Hey, Mark. Right? And then you 
then things you hear, things you hear on the radio, things you hear on YouTube, things you watch on TV, it's filtered through here. And you might hear something, you're like, I don't know about that one, right? It's all about because your heart and mind is set in developing a biblical worldview. We saw uh, this wonderful, uh, another translation called the message. Colossians 3.1 says this. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides, right? If you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. We talked about being doers of the word, right? James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We spent a long time last week that if you get to the place where you think just coming and hearing, hearing a sermon here on the radio, wherever, and just reading something, if you, if you got to the place where just hearing is enough, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says you're deceived or actually deluded. That's, that's a pretty powerful word. We looked at it a lot last week. It's just not enough to hear it. You got to be a doer. You got to be a doer. Colossians 3.1. If you're serious about it, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. And I was thinking about that. I said, you know what? We spent a lot of time the last few weeks talking about being doers, not being deceived, not being deluded. I think it would be really cool if we had a living testimony and someone share. Someone share their journey with Jesus in being a doer. Not perfect. But in walking with Jesus and taking proactive steps to grow, to walk in newness of life, to be confronted with fears and anxieties and, and new things, risks on Tuesday, whatever. I thought, you know what, maybe at this place as a church family, let's just not hear from me so much today. Let's hear from someone who, who's just on the journey with all of us. So I'm going to invite Betty to come on up, and she's just going to share a bit of her journey with us. Come on up, Betty. Marco, will you come here? You got to use your mic. Isn't it really hard to love someone you don't really know? So if you don't know Jesus, how can you love him? There is a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus. I guess most of my life I just knew about him. It seems that almost always I went to church somewhere. But just going to church isn't what it's all about. I never learned anything. I never read the Bible. If I did, I didn't know what it said. Do you know that today there are thousands who know about Jesus? That is, they know some facts about him, commit Bible verses to memory, and attend church regularly, but never allow the facts to become a personal reality. I held knowledge in my head without allowing the truth to penetrate my heart. I honored Jesus with my lips, but my heart was far from him. Psalm 24, 4 and 5 says, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. 
I've been attending church for almost all my life. That is, I've been to Sun. I've been a Sunday church attender. I would come to church on Sunday, and after church, I would go home and forget all about God in church until the next Sunday. I never bothered to read the Bible. I had a Bible, but it was usually on a shelf somewhere in my apartment. After all, I didn't need it till next Sunday. I always brought my Bible to church because Richie said to bring your Bible and a pen to church. Well, three years ago in my, li- in my life, my life started changing with the death of my husband. Daryl and I had been married for 62 years. I was only 16 when we got married. I was lost and needed more of God than just Sunday church. One Sunday after church, Pastor Richie suggested I go to the ladies' Bible study. He said it was Doris's birthday, and after lunch, and afterwards, they were going to go to Casa de Laga for lunch. Well, Doris and lunch sounded great, but ladies' Bible study? Oh, well, I went, got through Bible study, really enjoyed lunch. I kept going each Monday, even though my hearing was so bad, I really didn't hear anything, but I kept going. After a lot of encouragement from Richie, Bill, Tyler, and Diana, I got hearing aids. No excuses now. (laughs) I could hear. Bible study was hard for me, but I kept going. I started being more than just a church attender and began to really listen to God and to be a follower of Jesus. It's never too late in life to change. I'm 80, and I'm so thrilled that I finally, truly found God. A few months ago, our Bible study was from the book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. I realized that all I I had been doing was sitting in a boat, and that's not very exciting. I wanted out of that boat, and I wanted to walk on water. So last October 20th, Pastor Richie baptized me. This wasn't my first time to be baptized. I was baptized as a baby. And then when I was 11, I was attending a Catholic school. So I was baptized again because all my friends were Catholic. So naturally, I wanted to be like them. Then as an adult, again, my friends were being baptized. So I joined them. But you know, just because my friends were being baptized is not the real reason to be baptized. So this time, it was between Jesus and me. How special is that? I know that Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus, and I want the whole world to know that. I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me. I feel it all the time. God wants to change us. He died so that we could change. The answer lies in letting him change us. Jesus said, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. His teaching wasn't to try harder, but to let him in. Jesus wrote, James wrote in 4 8, 
Come near to God, and he will come near to you. John 10.10 says, I have come that you might have life and have life abundantly. And that's what I want is life abundantly with Jesus in my heart and the Holy Spirit in my soul. Just before I got in the water to be baptized, this is what I said. I walked on water once. Well, actually, I skied on water once. I was kind of like Peter. Hope got me out of the boat. Trust held me up, and fear sank me. This time, I am going to walk on water because Jesus said, Come. If I keep my eyes on Jesus, I won't sink. I will keep growing in his love and trust. Whenever Jesus calls someone to get out of the boat, he gives the power to walk on water. And Jesus said, come. read it and said okay in fact uh yeah i met with her a couple days ago and i was like okay and then uh we met before service and he said uh god woke him up at 1 30 with some other stuff i'm like great i'm not gonna edit god so there you go and 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 i just thank you betty because because i want that to be an encouragement to all of us it, it's got to be it, it needs to really be an encouragement of what it is to walk in newness of life, whatever stage of life you're in. And it's been a joy, and, and there's been times when, when I've encouraged her slash challenged her to do things, and she would just look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what? This is a miracle. The, this, what you just got to experience was a miracle, and I hope you, you understand that, that, that where she is, not just to share where God has has taken her, but to actually do this in front of this many is, is a miracle of the Lord, and, and we get to celebrate that. But here's the thing. It's not just for Betty. That same invitation and opportunity is for everybody here, for transformation, for transformation, for, for, for you to be at a place where, like, I can't even believe this. I can't even believe what God has done and where he's taken me. And it's just in the small decisions. It's just in the small decisions of, of trust and faith and obedience that we take every day every day. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and, and we're going to look at, at one of the reasons that, that God raised us with Christ, right? That Why did God raise us? Why are we called to walk in newness of life, right? And Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, well, verses 1, and, 1 through 3 really speaks to, and he's very honest about who we were before we knew Jesus. Ephesians 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul is speaking to believers at the church of Ephesus. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. He says, hey, before you knew Jesus, basically you're just living for yourself. 
a slave to sin, gratifying the things of the flesh. That's what he's saying. That's, that's who we were. But then I love verse 4. But because of his, because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Very important. Here's another purpose statement, verse 7. In order that, right? Why? Here's a purpose statement. In order that. Why did God do this? Why did he raise us up? Why did he save us? In order that, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that passage. First three verses, hey, you know what? Before you knew Jesus, it was all about you. You're just living for yourself. You're just doing what the world's doing. You're just dominated by sin. You're just seeking to gratify, 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 right? And then in verse 4, there's this incredible transition. Hey, but God, God loves you so much. God is so gracious and kind and merciful that he saved you. And here's the reason why. Verse 7, right? In order that, right? Look at it then. In order that, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of whose grace? His grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why does God transform us? Why? Why did God and why is God working in Betty to get her here? Here's the truth. Not so we can hold her up. Betty sharing her testimony with us today is to give glory to him. And his incomparable grace. It's designed for us to go, are you kidding me? That's awesome. You and I are kind of like God's trophies on his mantle. And he wants to show you off to the world. So he says, hey, 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 world, check this out. That's my Betty trophy. And, and you know, there's my Benita, right? There's my Mark and my Scott. And it's all of us. Why? To give him the glory for his grace. None of us can boast. It's all, it's all him. It's not by works. Nothing we can ever claim. It's not grace plus how I helped him out. It's pure grace. And he wants to demonstrate that he's alive and well and wants to give grace and love because he wants to show us off. He wants to show off. I love, look at verse 10. It says, we are God's workmanship. You know what that word is? Poema. It's where we get the word poem. It means masterpiece. If you're a believer today, right now, you are God's masterpiece. Think about that. You are God's masterpiece, which means if he's the artist, there's design, there's an intentionality, there's a vision of where he's going. In in He's not done, right? The Bible says he is faithful to complete what he has begun. There is an artist, a creator, and you are his masterpiece, his poema, his poem. 
everything he's doing in your life and in my life, in the transformation, it is ultimately designed for someone to go, hmm, wow, God is good. And all the time. Because of your life and being demonstrated. And how you live and how you carry yourself, you are walking masterpieces. That's how he designed it. When, when Jesus came, he, someone said, Jesus, hey, show me the Father, right? And he's like, dude, really? I've been with you for so long. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Remember that conversation? Jesus tells one of his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, we're designed kind of like that. We're designed to be God's masterpieces walking around here to give him the glory, to give hope to people who are just wondering, man, really? How are you so different and you give all the glory to God? That's how he designed it. Our lives are designed to be pointing people to God. I love 1 Peter 2.9. It says this. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Somewhere along the line, and I don't know if it's just American Christianity, American church, Somehow it got twisted into, it's all about me. Serve me, feed me, make me happy, make me comfortable, right? Entertain me, 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 me. When truth be known, according to that verse, 1 Peter 2, 9, we were chosen, we were called, we belong to him, that we may declare his praises. What that means when it says declare, it's advertising. You and I are supposed to be walking sandwich boards. Right? Imagine if, if, if we said, hey, okay, we got 150 sandwich boards, and we want you to wear one, and we're going to all walk down the, the arcade together. Oh, really? People might see me. What are they going to eh? You see, that's the point. God is, you're his masterpiece. He's working on you in every area so that your life declares his praises. So he gets all the glory. The same thought is in Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, that's poema, so that men are without excuse. How many of you have ever heard, hey, look at the topas. Isn't God great? Anyone ever have, right? You have that. You, 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 oh, look at nature. I look at nature and I see God's, you know, God's awesomeness. I look at nature and I just can't help but think of God. That is exactly what he wants to use us for. He wants us as his saints to be in transformation so that when people see our lives, they're like, dude, really? There's a God that's still, that's awesome. Through our lives. Through our lives. And you think about the different people in the Bible. Remember a guy named Legion? Right? guy named Legion, he, he got demon-possessed by all kinds of demons. He, he's running around naked in the tombs. Right? Jesus shows up heals him, right? And in Luke 8.38, it says this. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. The Bible says this guy had been demon-possessed for a long, long time. Just kind of crazy, living out on his own. He has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus delivers him from all the demons, 
And now this guy is in his right mind. The Bible says he's in his right mind sitting with Jesus. Like, Jesus, can I go with you? I just want to go with you. I just want to be with you, Jesus. Can I just hang with you? Thank you, thank you. I just want to go with you. He begs him to go. And Jesus says, no. I want you to go back to your town. And I want you to live, speak and live as a testimony. Right? Sometimes we get saved and, and God, I want to go there. God, I just want to be used. I want to send me, send me, send me. It's like, great, go to Nordoff. No, I really want to be used. I, really, Lord, I really want to be used. What foreign country? Let's go to Mexico. Let's go to Haiti. Matillaha, Nordoff, your job, Monday. What? What? No, go there. Go there and live as a testimony of your deliverance of your transformation, of a new attitude, of new language coming out of your mouth, of new priorities. Go home. Go where you are and be who you are in Christ as a testimony there. As a testimony there, right? I think of the Apostle Paul, right? Remember Paul who was Saul? What was he doing before he got saved? Persecuting the church, putting Christians in prison, right? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, if there was ever a person, I think in the Bible, that probably had a lot of regret and shame about the past, might have been the Apostle Paul. We tend to celebrate him because of all the epistles and all that God used him. But think of his B.C. days. He was persecuting Christians. He met Jesus on the Damascus Road on the way to go pound some more Christians. He meets Jesus, and I believe Pastor Paul had to work through some regret and shame, guilt for all the pain he caused people, right? And at a certain point, he comes to, he has to make peace with it, and he simply says, you know what? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And I love that because my prayer for us as we, we're walking in this newness of life is I believe pretty much all of us at some point, you're going to have to make peace with your past. Your shoulda, wouldas, and couldas. Your regrets. The things you said that you can't take back. The things you did that you can't undo. Right? And get to the place of the Apostle Paul. You know what? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and, and I was thinking of that. You ever, maybe as a kid, maybe as an adult, you ever break something at home or at work or at school and you have that rote row moment? Right? Maybe you're at home with the kid and you're like, ooh, wait till mom gets home, right? So you get this thing and you look for the glue and you try to fix it so good that you could never tell it was broken. Anyone ever been guilty of trying to hide that? Fix something so good that your, your mom's not even going to know. And, it, you know, you put it right back up there. No, I think it was turned a little more, right? And you, you, you get it, and you don't want any cracks showing, and it's just like, whew, right? And I think that that kind of mentality about fixing things in our life in the past so good 
that it doesn't show, I think that sometimes leaks into why we're bound up and not walking in newness of life. Because I think so many of us, even in the church, you love Jesus. I'm not, I'm not doubting that. But you spend a lot of your time and your energy just trying to hide your cracks. Trying to hide your cracks. Afraid, right? Afraid of what people are going to think, even in the church, right? You want that freedom of the apostle? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Yeah, gosh, man, I cause a lot of people pain. I, put, I destroy families. I put people in prison. But by the grace of God, I am. Right? There's, a, there's a sense of peace and freedom in the Apostle Paul's words. And I thought of this being bound and how it can translate even here on a Sunday morning. And I thought about this great song from a few years ago by Casting Crowns called Stained Glass Masquerade. Stained Glass Masquerade. I don't think we have it stained glass, right? And the, the, the song talks about on Sunday someone who's feeling imperfect. Someone who's feeling broken, but they're looking around at everybody else. And everybody else seems to have it all together. Everyone else is really good at hiding those cracks, right? And it says, is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? Because when I take a look around, everybody seems so strong. I'll know, I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. So I tuck it all away like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I'll play the part again so everyone will see me the way that I see them. Are we happy plastic people under shiny plastic steeples with walls around our weakness and smiles that hide our pain? But the invitation's open. Every heart that's been broken. Maybe then we close the curtain on our stained glass masquerade. See? If we get so consumed with hiding our stuff and our cracks, not that we live there. There's a difference. I'm not talking you live there. But if you get consumed with just hiding it out of fear and shame and embarrassment and guilt, Man, you get all wrapped up really quick. And this idea of an abundant life, this idea of walking in the Spirit, this idea of a new creation, that's just like wah 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 wah. It just doesn't register with you, right? Why? Because now you're wrapped up in fear of failure. Now you're wrapped up in fear of rejection. Now you're consumed with what people are going to think about you if they knew, right? And somewhere along the lines, you believe, you know what? Maybe I'm just damaged goods. Maybe I'm just damaged goods. And what do we tend to do in our culture with damaged goods? Disposable. Something breaks, oh well. Oh well. And I think some of us, we're broken. We're hurt. We're damaged. We got regret. Right? And we're like, what do I do with this? And then I go to church. And it looks like everyone's got it all together. And I want to open up. I want to ask for prayer after service. I want to, I want to, but man, I'm scared. Man. Right? 
one that can send you down this hopelessness, despair, discouragement. I came across this, this little poem and says this, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all of our past mistakes and heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Anyone? Anyone got a shabby old coat or two or three or 50 that you wish you could just throw off the land of beginning again? I know there have been times in my life, right? You see these, like, uh, what's that show where they look for homes on these little islands? Like, dude, I want to live on an island by myself. And I could decide who comes to my island. Right? Sometimes it's like life, boom, 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 and hammers us, and we make some poor decisions, and we're dealing with the consequences, and we're just like, again, we got guilt and shame and stigma, and da 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 da, and all this stuff in our head. We're just like, I want an island. The land, the island of beginning again, right? Remember, who's old enough to remember Fantasy Island? Woo! Yeah, right? Land the plane, right? Hey, right? But we can't. So what do we do? What what do we do if we're feeling this, right? If if we're feeling this. And and I was really working with that. Okay, Lord, help help me to understand even in my own life, even what I've shared here about anxieties and panic attacks and fears and stuff that I deal with, right? How do I deal with that? How do I bring that forward? And then I came across this. There, there's a Japanese art form called the art of kintsugi. Kintsugi means golden joinery. It celebrates breakage as a part of an object's history rather than the end of a story. It's transformation from broken beautiful kintsuki they take a special lacquer and they mix gold powder and what was broken becomes even more beautiful it's a transformation broken objects are not something to hide but to display When something breaks, it doesn't mean it's not useful or can't be transformed into something even more beautiful than it was. And I looked at this, and I think of me, and I think of you. And I think of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. Because our culture says, you know what? That thing dropped, and it shattered into that many pieces. Toss it. (laughs) It's done. Are you kidding me? What are you going to do with that? It's now junk. It's damaged goods. No, it's actually beautiful. And they intentionally don't repair it so that you don't see the cracks. They incorporate the cracks in the restoration. So the whole thing is a new creation. Beautiful cracks and all. And I looked at this and I made this picture because you know what I said? I think that's the church. <laughs> I think that's 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 actually a very true picture of what God intended in the church. So that he gets the glory with his masterpieces. Because if you're truthful, you know, I can put names to these. <laughs> me, 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 me. Okay, everyone there, I just let you off the hook. That's all me. We we're all on here. Amen. 
moment of, moment of transparency. We're all broken. The question is, what are you going to do in that? Are you going to retreat inward and try to hide it? Or are you going to come to Jesus and say, Lord, here I am. I need your restoration. Because in this journey, I need you to restore me. And, and, and I don't want to hide where I've been. In fact, what I want you to do, Jesus, is I want you to, to throw your golden lacquer and your grace and your mercy so that I'm actually more beautiful than when I started. ultimate brokenness is a broken relationship with Christ. And then when you restore that through faith, then he just continues the process. Continues the process. There's a whole bunch of breaks on each of those. And I'm guessing in your life and in my life, there's more than one break. And we're all in process. To take your brokenness, he wants to take my brokenness and make something beautiful. And the crazy thing is, he calls it the church. And we we are very intentional here. We, like I said, we're not living in the past, but we want you in in this context, or on a Tuesday night, or in a men's group, or in a women's group, to just acknowledge that and say, you know what? Can we just be honest? We're all broken and in the process of being made beautiful, and we genuinely need each other. We do, in the process of healing, in the process of, of changing our hearts and minds to get it off of us in the past and moving forward in Christ. It's a quote by Ernest Hemingway. The world breaks everyone, and afterwards, many are strong in the broken places. The world breaks everyone. We're all broken, come on. Now, we don't, we don't wallow in it. No, we have, in Christ, we are new creations. In Christ, our names are written in the book of life. We have hope for eternity. We are given newness of life through the resurrection, the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have hope. We have biblical truth. But let's be honest. At the human level, we're all broken. You, you know, around here, if you know me, I'll say, you got your stuff, I got my stuff. We all got stuff. But the good news in a relationship with Christ is the story's not done. The story's not done. He can take something broken. He can take something that the world wants to toss away. He can take something that we convince ourselves should be tossed away, meaning me. I'm damaged goods. Who would want me? I'm beyond hope. And along comes Jesus like, no, you're not. Come here. Come here. I'm going to take that brokenness. I'm going to heal you. You're going to be stronger, and you're not going to hide in the closet. In fact, I'm going to hold you up as my trophy. Because someone else who's broken needs to be encouraged by you. Needs to be encouraged by you and what I'm doing in your life, right? Psalm 147.3 says this. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord. Jesus used this verse from Isaiah to describe his mission. Jesus is quoting this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim 
the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus came to heal, to bind the brokenhearted. And to make something beautiful out of the brokenness. Tracy Miles says this, People can deny Christ, dispute scripture, and ignore prophecy. But they cannot deny, dispute, or ignore God's transformational power in someone's life. Our stories of pain, adversity, and overcoming in Christ are meant to serve as a testimony of God's faithfulness and power. Evidence that God really can take what the devil meant for evil and use it for good. So my encouragement for you, for all of us, me and myself, as I've had to work through this thing. Okay, Lord, how much time do I spend beating myself up, going down the, the path of shoulda, woulda, coulda's, what an idiot, how could you, what were you thinking, I thought you were better than this. Versus, Lord, I'm broken. And I need you. Thank you that you came to bind the brokenhearted. Thank you that you can take something that's broken and damaged goods in the world's eyes and make it beautiful. That's why he came. That's why he came. Right? And, and that's my heart for us as a church. That we would be a place that walking in newness of life is not plastic smiles. How you doing? Good, good, good. good. Everything's good. Good, 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 good. Because, uh, see, that's safe. That's safe. That's a deflection. How's everything going? Good. Code for, don't ask me. I've been in ministry 20, almost 30 years. I know the code. Right? I just want us to be a church where, where, again, we're not living in the past. We're not wallowing in the past. We don't beat ourselves up the past. We accept God's grace and forgiveness and restoration. And we move forward. We move forward. And as he heals us and as he grows us, as he binds us to him and to each other, we hold it up as a trophy to him. To him. Because only he could do it. Amen? It's only him. So as a church, we have hope. As a church, we're in covenant with one another, not to throw rocks at each other and not to beat each other up, but to say, come here. Come here. I get it. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we're so scared to share what's really going on in our life, right? And then maybe you get the courage to do it. You're like, hey, Mark, can we talk? Yeah, sure. What's going on? And we meet. And I get <laughs> Right? And you finally just dump it on someone. And you know what the craziest thing is? I've had this happen to me. He just looks at me and he goes, you too? You mean you struggle with the same thing? Yeah. Well, then why didn't you say anything? Because I was scared of what you were going to think about me. And we're so tied up in what people think about us and regret and pain that we live isolated lives. And we come to church every week and we're like, man, everyone got it all together but me. So let's just level the playing field. Turn to the person next to you and say, I don't have it all together either. Go ahead. Good. Just tell them. I don't have it all together either. Isn't that liberating? Just relax. 
Now, if you're really mean, you say, I know. Just kidding. No, 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 no. God is good. Even in our brokenness, God is good. And all the time. Let's pray. Lord. Wow. Thank you. We hear about the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He is what he is by your grace. We see you deliver legions. And you say, no, stay home. Stay home. Share your story at home. And then we get the privilege to having a living testimony this morning in Betty. And you tell us through scripture that it's all for your glory. It's all to bring testimony to your grace. And then you tell us this morning that you have come to bind the brokenhearted. And we're all broken. So Lord, this morning, as we prepare for communion, I just want to stop. And have a moment of just honesty with you. We all have regret. We all have pain. We all have shoulda, woulda, coulda. In some way, probably, we all have felt like damaged goods. And maybe it felt like nothing left for us. Or maybe we go the other way. Maybe we're so caught up in hiding every crack, every sign of weakness and failure that, man, we're just consumed with not showing what's really going on. Lord, we just want to come to a place of honesty with you. Of truth. So if you're here this morning and you recognize that the first step is to heal the most important brokenness, and that's a broken relationship with God because of sin. You just come before him. He's a God of grace. He says, we saw earlier, he saved, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So come to God. Say, Lord, I, I recognize that I have a broken relationship with you because of sin. And I come to you on the basis of faith right now. On the finished work of Jesus. To have a healed and restored relationship with you. To be in covenant with you. And if you know Christ, but, but he's speaking to your heart about your brokenness. And receiving his forgiveness for things in your life. And maybe seeing a picture of a restored piece of pottery has given you hope, then, then rejoice in that this morning. Would you rejoice and say, God, here I am, broken, imperfect. And I just want to walk in that newness of life by faith in the Spirit, one day at a time, trusting that I'm your masterpiece. I'm your masterpiece. And you're working on me. You're not done. You're not done. So by faith, Lord, here I am. Surrendering and submitting. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I am. I yield and submit. Thank you for a church family that loves me for I am. That wants me to be all that you created me to be. 
you, Lord. We come to the table this morning in remembrance of Jesus, but also remembering that Jesus, being fully human, knows what we're going through. So thank you for that. Jesus, thank you for the ultimate example in the garden where you said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What a great example of trust and faith and obedience. So Jesus, we come to the communion table. We're reminded of what you did, reminded of your incredible love. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. And then we're reminded as we come as a family that we don't have to do this alone. That the people coming forward to the table are in process too. And we're all broken. And we're all your trophy. All your masterpiece. And you're not finished with any of us. Before we close in song, I just want to ask Eileen to put something back up on the screen. It's not done. He is faithful to complete what he has started. It's not hopeless. Hang in there. Hang in there. One day at a time. I know it's a lot and uh, we're all broken. But I know the idea of sharing your life with someone else or dealing with God right now like that's maybe for some is like this is huge. And I get it and we get it. I just want you to know we love you. God loves you. If you want to pray after the song, you can come up. We'll pray for you. Um, sometimes in my life, when something so big as that, I, I've developed this thing with my wife. I'll just look at her and I'm like, can you tell me everything's going to be okay? And after all these years of marriage, she doesn't even ask. She just turns to me and says, it's going to be okay. It's code. It's code that God still loves me. He hasn't left me. And maybe he's just trying to prove another piece.